Hello, friends. This week is the 10th week of this podcast. It's kind of unreal, and I'm super grateful to all of you who listen, and especially grateful to all of you who have donated, like cool guy Max Ehrman, and my incredible patrons on Patreon. This week, we welcome Tally Allspot to the team, and as always, I want to shout out Alyssa Matthews, Krista Umberforth, Hannah Grierson, Grace Kent, Chandler Parrott-Thomas, and Dante Tapo. I couldn't have made it to 10 episodes without you, and you are instrumental in the creation of this episode and all the episodes to come. If you want to be like these awesome folks, you can head over to patreon.com com slash that do it for you pod or catch my Venmo in the show notes. This week's episode is kind of a big deal because I got to interview someone whose work I love and who brought a fun, fresh perspective to the pod. If you don't follow Sophia Benoit at one follower, no dad on Twitter, I highly recommend you go check her out. There are some glitchy moments in this episode, but that is to be expected at this point. And as always, I appreciate your understanding. I couldn't be happier to share with you episode 10 of that do it for you, George in my jungle with Sophia Benoit. Do you want to rub on Simba's tummy? Or think that Spider-Man looks extra yummy? The pain of childhood is super funny. On Did That Do It For Ya? With Aurelia Grierson. Hello and welcome to That Do It For Ya podcast. We are here with the wonderful Sophia Benoit. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, we are so delighted and honored to have you. You are my favorite part of Twitter. Oh gosh, no, that's not true, but thank you. <laughs> well, as one, as one addict to another, I hope it's okay that I, that I call you that. I just, I, I became familiar with your work uh, through Twitter and then you've written for GQ and the Refinery29 and Reductress and a bunch of other places I, I love. And reading your columns in GQ uh, about the, the quarantine and relationships. <laughs> Wonderful. I moved in with my boyfriend for the quarantine and we were really nervous. <laughs> about- oh my gosh. <laughs> That's like very high stakes, I feel like. But Oh um- yeah. Well, we'd gone from long distance to living together. <gasps> Oh my God. Oh my God. So you didn't plan on living together before quarantine. <laughs> so which one of you moved cities? Well, so we met in Ashland, Oregon, where we were okay. both working at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And then his contract was over. He went back to Seattle and then I went to do a job in the Bay Area. And so he was visiting me in the Bay Area when all of this happened. Oh my God. Yes. And so we both went back up to Ashland where OSF was able to house us and we've just been living here. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) That's crazy. It's insane, but we're both really grateful and we're both very lucky and it's been working out really well. We trade off who cooks and who does the dishes and that's great. You're the happy there. We're doing it. We also have another bedroom in the apartment, which has been I have that too, which is like both my wife and I work from home and like, there's no way, I mean, there's not no way, but it would be much more difficult if we were stuck in a place that did not have like an office. Yes. Yes. And I've definitely taken over the office that's covered in my laundry and bits and bobs, but (laughs) he's been really chill about that. He's kind of taken over the living room with his puzzle. So it's all, it's all good. But yeah, the stakes were high. And, yeah, they uh, were. <laughs> <laughs> so usually at this point in the podcast, I ask the the person how we know each other because I've literally only interviewed people that I've met before. <laughs> but, oh my gosh! Yes, you and I are just meeting in this moment. Well, we know each other on Twitter. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, Twitter, exactly. <laughs> um, if you want to tell our, our listeners at home a little bit about yourself and your background. So I currently live in Los Angeles. I moved out here for uh, to go to USC for. Uh, film school for 
screenwriting. And well, actually that's a lie. I moved out here for theater and then everyone in my family was like, that's a phase you're going to get over it. And I was like, <laughs> I need constant attention. And um, it turned out they were semi-right and I ended up like swerving into writing instead. So I have like you said, I've written, I write a lot for GQ and I've written for Refinery and Reductress and The Guardian and some cool, uh, some other places that I've, I've uh, been really lucky to work with. And then I also right now have a newsletter called Here's the Thing that I write for. It's my newsletter. I don't write for it. That made it sound like someone was paying me. <laughs> They're not. <laughs> um, it's, it's, your love. it's your passion project. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and then I... I was working for David Spade's late night show for a little while and they just got, um, unfortunately the coronavirus shut everything down and they got canceled temporarily or kind of up in the air. So now I'm just working a day job in customer service. It's very glamorous. Yeah. And, uh, writing a bunch. Excellent. Are people being nice to you in, in customer service? No, it's so terrible. Oh. Uh, I mean, like a lot of people are very nice and I've worked customer service a million times. I've done it for years and years. So I'm somewhat used to it, but I always forget how much it's like some people are just very upset, you know? Oh God. Yes. <laughs> just, and like, sometimes you mess up as a person, you know, and then you make it worse for them or like, or you just can't fix the problem. And then you're like, I'm so sorry. I want to fix this. <laughs> it's awful. Yeah. When I worked as a server, and people would get upset at me uh, if, like, if it truly wasn't my fault. If it was something out of my control, it would always, yeah. I would always be like, well, I like after their explosion, I'd be like, I hope that made you feel better. Yeah. And then I would just like kind of have to go on with my day. I'm, I'm <laughs> truly, I think everyone in the world should have a customer service job at least once just so they learn a thing or two. I think it should at least last a year too. Like, yeah, oh, no, you can't like, just, yeah, you're not allowed to creep in and creep out. No, you're here. You're in the, yeah, get in here. <laughs> well, you're in good company. Every single person who's been on this podcast has been a theater nerd or some sort of theater adjacent person. So, oh my gosh, I love that. I think <laughs> people really, they, they, we all want the same thing, which is just to constantly be performing things. Yeah, yes, exactly. 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 I just, yeah. <laughs> no, I was just saying, I was trying to like think of a way to not say attention, but it's attention. It's That's attention. Really Any person who tells you they got into the performing arts and they're like, oh, I just, I really felt drawn to tell stories. I'm like, bullshit. You, you need attention. You were a youngest child or your parents left <laughs> you at home a lot. Like we get it. It's fine. We're all here. We're all this <laughs> together. Uh, were you a, a youngest child? Yeah. Well, I'm my mom's youngest child, but then on my, on my dad's middle child. So I had like both, I was ignored and like big performer energy. Sure. <laughs> like very sure. terrible combo. Yeah. <laughs> Awful combo. Well, yes. I mean, growing up, you watched a film called George of the Jungle, which is what we are here to talk about today. Uh, yes. I uh, recently we watched this movie. I got a little info about it. So it came out in 1997, written by Dana Olson and Audrey Well, and directed by Sam Weissman. Roger Ebert gave it three stars. <laughs> so you know, not the best. Bold, bold of him, but I bold. I know. I was like, that's generous, honestly. But, <laughs> but I agree. Yeah. <laughs> it came out the same year as uh, Airbud. <laughs> Flubber, Jungle to Jungle, and Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Okay, all of those are great movies. Some of those are also problematic movies. Jungle to Jungle is insane, and that's, like, not right. Can you please remind me what that movie is? Because I feel like I saw it, but I have no memory. Tim Allen has a son. I'm probably going to get the details of this wrong. Just So Tim Allen has a son, and I'm probably getting some of these details wrong because it's more problematic than I can even imagine and remember. Sure. Um, but his son lives with 
this woman who lives with a like uh, a tribe that has very little contact in the outside world. I want to see in the Amazon, not a hundred percent on that. And his wife, or maybe it was his ex-wife. I don't know. He doesn't know he has a son, I don't think. And then he finds out he has a son and he like visits this tribe, finds out he has a son. The son comes back to, I want to say New York with him and like tries to live in the real world. It's got extremely similar vibes as George of the Jungle, but they made it super problematic. Sure. And we're going to talk a little bit about the problematic nature of George of the Jungle because I mean, it does a better job than I, that sounds like Jungle to Jungle. And even it's more like kind of similar content like Tarzan. Yes. There were still moments when I was watching it where I was like, Ooh. yeah, no, there's, there's things, there's bumps in that road. There's yeah. bumps in yeah. that road. But yeah, it. I feel like that this era, kind of late 90s, there was kind of this Disney pushing for live action, like goofy kind of slapstick, self-aware movies. And I think George of the Jungle is like kind of pinnacle that the the self-awareness yeah. of George of the Jungle was so surprising to me. And I don't remember that as a kid because I, you know, I was five when this movie came out and I was just like, oh my God, he ran into a tree and he hit his penis. That's so funny. And yeah, exactly. I just loved it. But now watching it, I was like, oh my gosh, this movie is a movie satire in and of itself. And that's so, so brilliant. It is also the most, how to phrase this, just the most like point blank horny movie that we have ever talked about on this podcast. You're welcome. Because Thank it, you. Is, <laughs> it is horny. It is like so explicitly like there ev- any and every scene that they could find to oil up. Brendan Fraser, they, someone was there with like a bottle of baby oil and God bless them. Like, thank you for it. Like, This is the most please. man that you've ever seen in a Disney movie. Just the most like man body, just out to sea, oiled up, toned as hell, loincloth. Yes. I feel like that's the reason this was such a like sexual awakening for me is it was just like the first time I was like getting like nudity, nudity, like with a live action person. It wasn't like, obviously I think this came out the next year. I want to say this is all going off memory, but I think Mulan came out in 98, I think. And obviously Li Shang is the hottest man alive, obviously. Oh yeah. But like, even then you're not getting like as much nudity and you're not getting like real person nudity as you're getting for your buck when you when you pay to rent George in the Jungle. <laughs> it's so like yeah not even just like the nudity in question though there is a moment where the friend comes into the apartment. Oh I know what you're talking about. Yeah the big yes. book. The yes. big the book in the, the bowl. bowl and the yes. So uh, oh my god like, this so horny and everyone in the movie who sees George is so horny for him in such an explicit, like, unapologetic way. I don't think I've seen a movie since then that is so... Okay, I, I don't know if you know this term. I'm sh- I am feel like either you're going to be like, yeah, of course I know it, or like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, <laughs> Can't wait. But, you know, like, himbos? Oh my god, I have literally on my list. George is a himbo. <laughs> he's a himbo. He's, like, such a, like, a himbo. He's so, like, hot and stupid and oiled up. And it's like, we don't get especially not in kids' movies, but you do not get enough movies where it's just like, here is this hot, dumb, beautiful, sweet angel who just, like, doesn't get anything, but, like, in a nice way, not in a, like, ignorant way, in a, like, what's the world like, you know? Truly. Yeah, it's like if Elf were, like, a porn is what oh this God. movie is. 
<laughs> yeah, you know what? I hadn't thought about it that way, but you're 500% right. I think about the trope of the wild man and sort yeah. of what that symbolizes and, and how that's been sexualized in a lot of media, specifically aimed at women. And I think what's so interesting and subversive about George of the Jungle is the fact that he is gentle and he's kind. Yes. And part of what is attractive about him is his selflessness and his desire to help animals and people. And like the foil for him is obviously the fiance Lyle, who's like a selfish prick. Yes. And racist as hell. And it's just, it was really nice to watch this, like with this, like, yeah, oh my God, he's a, he's a himbo who is also kind. And that's why she falls for him because even though he's, you know, like very stupid and doesn't understand the world, he's, he's, his heart is so good. And that was so nice to see kind of a wild man narrative take on a, a less sort of damaging role for the, for the woman involved in the story. Yes. And like her role never matched his in terms of like being sexual, which was like very great to watch of like, they never were like, you get in a bikini and like, you be naked, you be looped up. Oh, she's clothed for most of the movie. Yes. Like she's full on clothes clothed oh my god um and <laughs> i feel like that was nice it was nice to just be like here's this sweet guy who i'm sure we will get into this because there's like such a horny scene but he just like <laughs> wants to run around with horses the famous horse oh my god scene, the horse scene oh <laughs> pinnacle of cinema i've literally written an essay about george of the jungle that is coming out eventually because <gasps> i like can't say what it's a part of but yeah, it's like it, so um but we'll promote it when I'm it like, comes out don't worry when it comes out i'll be like this is the george of the jungle essay because i'm so passionate about that horse scene in george <laughs> of the jungle they like knew what women wanted this yes. movie knew more about female <gasps> desire than any movie I've seen since like they Truly. knocked it out of the park they were like it's like here they were just like here's what your mom wants to watch with you we know you want to watch a guy like fall out of a tree your mom's horny let's be honest <laughs> this like, movie was made for the horny moms like the kids can enjoy the slapstick comedy and the talking animals and really just like kind of go in for that and then mom gets to enjoy the horny horse scene yes without like we should probably explain what that is for people who like are just listening to this who don't know it he is at a party her engagement party her engagement party yeah and he's in this white flowing shirt that's unbuttoned to his navel and he's taming a wild horse and his hair is blowing in the breeze and all these this line of women are watching him just sighing so wet and then yes and then <laughs> and then some other guys see these women and they literally go what is it with chicks and horses which is like they get it i get it everyone got it and i was like yeah what is it with women and horses but like also it was like a perfume ad mixed with like a romance novel cover it was so corny it should not have worked and yet here i am being like tame horses brendan fraser like Oof. like i thought that at age five when i saw this movie <laughs> and i feel that way now i'm like yes absolutely it's perfect and i think you really hit something on the head when you say this movie knew what women wanted and like something about female desire. Um, I don't know if you've read Vagina by Naomi Wolf. Oh, I haven't. No. Oh my gosh. Highly recommend. I, I've talked about it on this podcast before and I bring it up a lot because it's one of my favorite books I've ever read. Writing it down. Yeah, definitely do. It's a book about the vagina and uh, the link to vaginas and creativity in people who have them and about like female pleasure and, and all and like what it means and how it like permeates kind of everything about our being. And in that she talks about 
this idea of the wild man and the bad boy and what that means for us. And what she says that I really love is that the bad boy's wildness is about our wildness and about a desire to liberate within ourselves. And I so see that when Ursula's riding on the elephant, just having like the time of her life. And I think there's something to be said about women and femmes' desire to be free and what the right partner and partnership can unlock in us. And I I really do feel like this movie just understood that in such a profound way. Also, I mean, this is probably deeper than what the writers of George the Jungle were going for. Maybe not. Maybe they were thinking it and they packaged it incredibly well. But I feel like there's also so much commentary because you have on the idea of class too for her, of like this liberation from the expectations of this upper echelon of society that she's potentially marrying into and Mm -hmm. part of and... Um, if I remember correctly, she's like also really rich. And yeah, she's an heiress. That's right. Her mom. Oh my God. Her mom is amazing. <gasps> Holland Taylor. I love Holland Taylor. I would die for her. This movie is star studded. I can't like, I started watching it. And I was like, oh my God, that's Leslie Mann. Like, holy fuck. Yes. Yes. Also the only other woman to be ever named Ursula other than Ursula the Sea Witch. Oof, I so, talk about like, Ursula the Sea Witch on this podcast a lot. I'm a big fan. She's a very horny icon as well. Yes. They should have looped her up, but they, should. Oh, they were well. scared. They were scared cowards. Yeah, you're saying about class and the mom and the parents and how she comes from. Well, this I just world feel like and- there's like like getting away from the idea of like expectation, and obviously that exists no matter what class you're in. But like the movie kind of set up this very specific. She feels trapped by the expectations of being part of society and being like part of a specific set of society, which is like upper class society. And then here's this exact opposite person who is like the things that matter in my life are like protecting animals and who are his family and like cooking in my like little hut in (laughs) the jungle and like he's so simple and he's so pure and so much of like again they're not going for this but it's like so much (laughs) anti-capitalism like oh yeah no clothes no anything like having the time of his life his butt flap but horny obviously and (laughs) I feel like there's like there is like that that idea of liberation from like being a woman and behaving and being good and you know so yeah I think the wild man definitely is the the appeal there also though I just want to say like this was so shaping I think or I already had this tendency and I don't know but he him having long hair was just like knocking it out of the park for me I was like (laughs) this is lighting up everything thing on the switchboard like this is perfect so yeah it's like he's hot he's great whatever but this guy with long hair I was just like I love this I'm in like Fred and Frazier's already hot but like the long hair and a guy I was like I'm done this is enough for me that is so fascinating I have a theory about long hair I think it sometimes works and then sometimes it really really doesn't and obviously there's it has a lot to do with like cleanliness and hygiene and then I think also it can come down to what shoes the man is wearing and I do not think this is the case with Brendan Fraser because he's Brendan Fraser and he's just beautiful and wasn't wearing shoes and it just like worked but I always like I do stand by like if you're wearing the right things on on the bottom of your body what's happening on the top of your body can also be wild and free I think shoes and smelling good are like the two most underrated things that men could take care of better to get laid more i have a really like crystal clear memory of i was at uh the whole foods at columbus circle in new york city saw this beautiful man just like i was so into it and then i looked down at his feet and he was wearing these really disgusting tennis shoes and i was like "Mm." (laughs) 
never mind and it really did it does it can, <laughs> it can make or break it can make or break it really can it can make or break and i don't want that that could be classist also and i don't i i don't want to like not acknowledge that like you know access to good footwear is a privilege but yes but also i i absolutely am on board with that but there's also like a lot of rich guys wearing like the ugliest shoes possible Horrendous. and that have they are the ones who absolutely need to be called out on that because it's like i know you have access to things that aren't boating shoes bitch like come on <laughs> let's, let's we've honest. moved beyond the need for sperry's we really have but actually this does kind of go into one other thing that i love about this movie the shoes do which is the dress because at one point he he wears a dress in the movie and it is so hot and so fabulous and like first of all the dress itself is just like a summertime iconic look of like like it's literally they put him in the most flowy floral like cute summer dress and then he has his little hair up and he's like going around the city and I'm like you got me Brendan you got me he looks so good he looks so good and I just, I think about like San Francisco in the nineties and that was towards the late nineties. So we're like kind of AIDS crisis and this handsome, gorgeous, like kind of gender bending man. And I loved it. I loved that moment and how right unafraid of, of that moment Disney was. Disney would never now. Never. It did feel like maybe they were trying to make a joke, but that it it's a joke that kind of weirdly didn't land in a way that I think they were trying to just because he looks so good. I agree, I 100% agree that like they t- like I think they were like walking up to the line of haha he's wearing a dress because there's like obviously some very like deeply problematic heteronormative shit about and anti-trans you know transphobic ideas about like oh a guy wearing a dress is a joke and I think that they were I think they didn't actually go there though, which was kind of nice if I remember correctly. Like they didn't actually go straight to like, there's this punchline and it's that he's wearing a dress. I think, yeah, it was, it wasn't like you're laughing at a guy in a dress. Like you're, that's like not the funny part. It's like, oh, he doesn't know what to wear and he's not sure what's appropriate to wear. Yes. Which like, again, there's still some like on the line stuff, but he's so hot in it and it's great. It feels, yeah, it feels like maybe it's on the line because again, the joke isn't like, the joke is I feel like maybe on the gender norm itself because to him, it doesn't matter. Like he's, yes, he's very comfortable walking around in the dress and, and, and because of his comfortability with it, it feels like the joke they tried to make then became a different joke. Yes. Because he's comfortable with it and now it's a joke about like oh like he does he doesn't understand the silly rules of our gender but maybe it doesn't matter yes I don't think they like successfully like made a commentary with it either way of course not but he was very hot which is what matters <laughs> which is what matters he's so hot he's so hot uh, it's really sad did you know what happened to him yes uh he well he has a me too story where he was like sexually assaulted but he also if i remember correctly i mean he got um he had a really bad a couple back surgeries and then had um like was on painkillers for a while and i'm not sure if he was necessarily addicted to them but was like had issues with painkillers and pain management Right. So that's how, that's my my sweet angel. I know what a loss. I think about like he was kind of everywhere in the late '90s, early 2000s, and then he just kind of disappeared. And that's a that's a deep shame. I used to have these like frequent and kind of terrifying dreams when I was a child, where he was the bad guy, and I don't 
know why I felt that way because I was super attracted to him in George of the Jungle. <laughs> so I don't know why he was showing up in my dreams as the baddie. But then when the Harry Potter movies came out, it, I started having frequent and terrifying dreams about Lord Voldemort. So I guess just the <laughs> cultural paradigm shifts and so do our subconsciouses. But I do kind of want to talk about, oh, you're frozen. Oh, you're frozen too. Sorry. No, it's because my connection is unstable and so am I, to be honest. <laughs> but I do I do want to talk about some of the, some of the, the more racially problematic moments of this movie just because it feels like to not acknowledge it would be a erasure of of that thing and I think this film does to a lesser degree suffer from the same issue that I think Tarzan does which is a white person planted in the middle of the jungle raised by apes and there are no black people around so it's then kind of we are then to read that the apes are the black people which is yeah so fucked up and like that is something that really bothered me and there are there are black characters and black people in this movie but it's still it doesn't it's it's not making a conscious effort here no and there's i mean the history of george of the jungle not that i'm like deeply versed in it but it's not like it came from this like good source material or anything like that like it's a deeply problematic movie on a lot of levels they did I think do these minor moments that they tried to get away from that where they would like have like you said there are a few black characters but again even those characters get into like stereotypes really quickly Mm -hmm. uh even though they're very funny like a lot of the best lines of the movie are given to them they're also just like the cheap comic relief moments a lot of the time yes and i do feel like a lot of their presence is set up so that lyle can be shown as a douche like so much of the so much of like lyle's moments are him interacting with these black people and being really racist to them and then then kind of besting him and and getting the comeuppance on him and being smarter than him and they're still though there to serve this white character's narrative and this like white stories narrative. Yeah, like, exactly. Just Lyle. It's like the in like you don't go to Africa and find one white person and then like the other white person that's in this one jungle with you, it, it falls in love with you. Like it's yeah. incredibly white. Um and like incredibly It's a colonial narrative. Very colonial, like very, very like colonizer narrative. And yeah. like the colonizer fantasy of mm. like maybe there's something undiscovered but somehow that person is still white and i still care about what they what happens to them you know like yep yeah yeah had, had ursula gone into the jungle and found anyone who was not white this would not have been a, like no one would have made a kids movie out of that no of course not <laughs> disney's racist and then, like i mean disney's history of racism is uh, deep and like even now, like any movie that they have with a person of color, that person either turns into a frog for most of the movie or a skeleton for most of the movie. Let's talk about yeah. <laughs> Mulan's uh, and Disney's uh, approach on other cultures. I say with air quotes. I mean, yeah, yeah. There's the Disney has given us a lot of hot men, and then mm-hmm. get also given us like even more than that racism. Ooh, yeah. You can't talk about a Disney movie without talking about racism. And it's like, it feels wrong to attempt to try. Doesn't he also like run across the jungle with just Air Jordans on or something? He does run across the jungle in Air Jordans, a fun little product placement. Yeah. And that also feels very weird and somewhat like, what is the commentary there? What is, what are you trying to say about him being a runner? Like, 
like there's a lot of weird moments where you're like that's either explicitly or pretty <laughs> pretty obviously not good yeah and i felt similarly about the uh the character of ape the talking monkey it felt oh. like part of what's like what they're trying to tell the audience is funny about that is that he's like this super literate ape and then that felt awkward like that no felt- and there's also so much like the idea of raising him and like being almost like a nanny or like yeah. like cooking a lot and being kind of like the help in certain situations was very fucked up yep and again it, it was so weird because they do make so much like meta commentary and like satire but they like didn't get to the next level which was like are you aware that the movie you made is deeply bad and, and i don't think they're aware i really just don't think that they knew no, um, a bunch of white people wrote a movie and have didn't know and didn't care or just didn't care that they made a movie that has like seriously problematic racial undertones and overtones and oh. overtones oh yes they're all all the tones all the tones into like kind of a, a different problematic thing that i thought is when I was watching this, obviously I've seen Tiger King. I don't know if, if you have oh, indulged yeah. in the Tiger King. And then I'm watching this and thinking, oh my God, how many of these animals probably belong to Joe Exotic or Doc Antle? And I'm just thinking about that. Like, I couldn't stop thinking about it because I think they talked about it in the documentary that they use some of at least Doc Antle's animals for the movies because they're trained. And, I, and I'm just like watching all these animals be in this movie. I do feel like this is, it could be wrong, but I'm going all off of like literally an image in my mind but i feel like the elephant from the the tiger king is the elephant in this movie because or one of them because i think the elephant in this movie is an asian elephant rather than an african elephant which is obviously deeply fucked up <laughs> why is the elephant here yeah uh, who knows yeah that's yeah. who needs research right there's oh my god i just remembered about him picking up that lion and spinning it around <laughs> there's some very funny puppet work in that moment there's a lot there's a lot of special effects that don't hold up at all no <laughs> no early cgi we were looking at some really early cgi which yeah. uh ooh, can't can't say it aged well so much of the movie did not age well including brendan fraser no i'm just I kidding I, um he, <laughs> no, was in, he was in the affair i think kind of recently oh yeah and that that like showtime show the affair i think he like that was his kind of like comeback role recently and i think he has another role that he had maybe last year like, oh i think gosh. he's kind of starting to like take a few little things i want the best for him i love him i love him he was i feel like he was on this track to become this huge movie star big heartthrob and then just some fucked shit happened and it feels like that kind of got ripped away from him and i really do want him to have a thriving career if that's what he wants he has to say a lot of people who leave hollywood just do so for really valid reasons he also apparently so he has two sons i think two sons maybe but he has some sons that he was talking about in an interview. And at one point he was talking about how um, one of his sons, like ha- he, own- like Brennan Fraser owns horses because one of his sons like uses it for therapy. And immediately I was like, oh my God, run with the horses again. It's time. Like, it's let's time. do it. It's time. <laughs> so yeah, don't, horses, so. <laughs> don't worry about the, the number of sons. This is, a, this is a podcast about feelings, not facts. <laughs> Um, <laughs> we do our best to give people the right credit, but, but, oh my gosh, he needs to run with the horses again. I need to, I've never seen the mummy, but I've been told that's another one where he's uh, quite delicious. I've also never seen it, but I, even though I hadn't seen it when they re 
like recast it with Tom Cruise like two or three years ago. Tom Cruise is older than Brendan Fraser and I was so mad. You little motherfuckers don't ever do that to Brendan Fraser again. No, it doesn't. Don't you dare do my boy dirty. <laughs> right? Like how dare you? Just get Brendan Fraser. Just get Brendan Fraser. I do. I have enjoyed the the mummy ride at Universal Studios. So there you go. that's about as close as I've got. I just, everyone told me it was really scary. And so when I was growing up and was afraid of everything I was like I can't watch the money so now I feel like I, I missed out on some on some key Fraser times but look I've got nothing but time in quarantine maybe I'll do just pick a Brendan Fraser day have a marathon I've already begun there's another Brendan Fraser movie called Mrs. Winterborn I think it's like a no it's like a drama from the 90s it's so bizarre the whole entire premise of it is like very deeply fucked up it's like similar to while you were sleeping where like she pretends to be Brandon Fraser's wife and it's complicated. It is so, and I rewatched it recently and he's really hot in it. He's Ugh. so hot in it. But the plot of that movie is bananas, like full on just bananas. Ugh, it is like great. Tracks. great. I can't wait. I need a, I need a wild thriller. <laughs> All right, Sophia, we are coming to the end of our time together. This has been so great and we're so appreciative that you came on and talked about truly the horniest movie four children ever made <laughs> i'm always happy to talk about Brendan Fraser. oh my gosh so great can you tell uh our listeners where they can find you online should you want to be found um so you can find me on twitter at at one follower no dad and then i also have a substack newsletter here's the thing that you can find me there and then i write for gq fantastic oh my gosh and we will be sure to uh promote your george of the jungle essay when it comes out oh my gosh thank you so much i can't wait can't wait thank you so much for for coming on and talking to us we so appreciate it thank you all right have a great day oh one last thing one last question uh sophia did that do it for you (laughs) yes Well, that did it for me. Hope that did it for you. Thank you so much for listening. That Do It For Ya is hosted and edited by Aurelia Grierson to the best of their ability. It is produced by Dante Tapo and Chandler Parrott-Thomas. Eleanor Hobson is our media and marketing manager. Our theme song is by Eric Solis, and our visual design is by Margaret Chambers. That Do It For Ya is a sex-positive podcast with naughty words and mentions of characters I do not own. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at That Do It For Ya. Be sure to tell your friends about us, rate and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, and if you're interested in becoming a monthly donor, you can go to patreon.com slash that do it for your pod to join our horny little community.